Lewis Roman, Jr. I'm the senior location pastor here at New Life Community Church, Mount Clear. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, I hope to meet you. If you stick around a little bit, come say hi. If not, uh, take up our offer when we buy you lunch in a few weeks and uh, stick around for that. Amen? We're going to go on ahead and quickly jump into today's word. I actually, I was supposed to start this stewardship series today. So some of you guys are saying, whew, thank God he's not talking about money today. We're going to do that, as Anthony said, the next few weeks. It is very important. We're not just talking about what you need to be giving. We're talking about what, how God is expecting us and, and, and how he expects us to be good stewards of everything that he gives us. Amen? But as I was trying to prepare for that sermon, I was really having a very difficult time uh, in, in, in getting that together. And so I just kept, continued to be reminded of last, last, last week when I unofficially ended the, the, the previous series in the second book of Timothy. Now, when I started preparing that book, the second book of Timothy, uh, there's four chapters in it. So if you want to say, hey, I read a, bi- a, a, a book of the Bible, Timothy's only four chapters. I've already taken you through it. Read it again. Feel accomplished. But when we go on ahead and, and when I went on it, I... I kind of felt the Spirit leading me to go towards the second part of chapter 4. If you remember, I talked about how Timothy was, was, uh, t- Timothy was being told by Paul, hey, Timothy, come before winter, right? I talked and I gave you guys the, the urgency to not wait, to not procrastinate on what can be done today. Don't wait till tomorrow because we don't know if tomorrow will ever come. We know that Paul has been in a Roman prison. We know that Paul is awaiting his sentence to be uh, martyred because of his faith, because of his spreading of the gospel. Paul has done great things. Paul has done amazing things. He was once a person who actually actually persecuted the Christians. He actually was looking for for the Christians after Jesus ascends to heaven to try to get them, to, to throw them into the jail. Because he believed, he served the God Almighty, he just, he wasn't convinced about this Jesus yet, and so he believed that he was doing God and his religion justice until he meets God, until he meets Jesus on a road to Damascus. Now, Paul lived a great life, a great life in ministry, but one of the things as I was preparing that sermon and I felt led to lead, to, to, to take you there, specifically because we had just kind of experienced the loss of one of our sisters, Heidi Reed, but there was a part, and those of you who know the book of Timothy, who know chapter 4, probably were surprised in saying, hey, I'm surprised that pastor skipped this very important section, and so I kind of felt the Holy Spirit kind of tugging me at that to get back there, and so I want to be obedient, and I want to do that. If you don't mind, before we begin, if you can close your eyes so we can pray. Father God, we come before you this moment, this beautiful, precious day that you have given us the opportunity to gather together as one body, Lord Jesus, to worship you, to acknowledge you, and to learn from you, God. I pray right now, Lord, that you would use me to speak your word to your church this morning, to tell them what it is that you want to tell them, God. I pray, Lord, that you would go on ahead, Father, and allow us to to get rid of all the, the, the distraction that may be consuming us right now. The many of us that maybe we're here physically, but mentally, we're thinking already about what we got to do in a few hours, what has to get done when we get home. God, I pray, Lord, that we would focus our attention on you today. Father, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would just go on ahead and just continue to speak and move. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to prepare and be ready for me when I get there, we're going to be in the second book of Timothy, chapter 4, and we're going to focus on two verses, but two very key verses, and that is verses 6 through 8. Before that, let me jump into my introduction here, and for those of you who like football, you you may be aware of this unless you don't follow college football, but in 2003, just before his team had left the locker room to play for the national championship of college football at what was what was called the Fiesta Bowl. If you know college football, towards the end of the year, there's all kinds of bowls. They got bowls for everything. The Orange Bowl, the 
pictures, though, all of these things in which they take two college football teams and they just have a real big event in game. Well, Jim Tressel, who was the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, what he did is that he gathered his team for one final talk because this coach knew the task. That he knew the challenge that was ahead of him and his team. So he gathered them for that final talk, and, and after going over the game plan, he went on ahead and he asked his team one simple but very important question. And it's a question that I'm going to be asking or asking you to consider today. And that question, this is a true story, he tells them, he tells his team, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Now, the reality is that it must have worked because when the game was over, this game actually ended up going to two overtimes. The Buckeyes had actually pulled off one of the greatest upsets in recent history, defeating the Miami Hurricanes in the process, ending the Miami Hurricanes' 34-game winning streak and giving the national championship to the Ohio State Buckeyes. Just as that coach gave that question to that team, the question is in the air today as well. How is it that you want to be remembered? What are, or, or what do you hope people will say after you are gone about you? I was just, we were just uh, at a funeral the last two days for our sister Heidi Reed and the beauty and the beauty and the beauty of words that came out of people's mouth of how she was remembered. It just kept hitting me. How, how do I want to be remembered? What are people going to say when I'm the one? Because the reality is that we all have an appointment to be where she is. How do I want to be remembered? What are people going to say? Or are we saying, we're saying, hey, I don't even want to serve it because I, I, I know no one's got nothing good to say about me. How will people who knew you best summarize your 40, 50, 60, 70 years of life? How? That's a question that we should be asking ourselves. As we were driving up and pulling into the cemetery yesterday, as you know, sometimes we go very, very slow. My family and I, my wife was on the passenger side, my daughter was in the back, and, and we were doing something that we, we, we kind of do whenever we go to a cemetery, and, and we were kind of just uh, inspecting the gravestones. Uh, have you done that? You go into the cemetery, and you, you find yourself reading the headstones. You know, I, I, we're reading them. And it was an old cemetery, old town. I mean, there was, there was some, some headstones there that had been there for at least 200 years. Most of the markers contain phrases like loving father, beloved mother, Darling son, some said, rest in peace. Another one had said, asleep in Jesus, and so on. And as I was looking at that, I was reminded one day of a headstone that I, I, I once saw. And under their name on that headstone was a date of his birth and a date of his death. And then there was just five, it, there was a five-word statement. That's all it was. That had, assumingly, as you saw that, summed up his whole life. You know what those five words were? They were a man of unquestioned integrity. Just five words. Nothing more, nothing less. And so suppose it was your tombstone. What five words would your friends choose? Or would you say, just leave it blank? What five words on your tombstone would your family choose? How do you want to be remembered? Here is Paul's answer to that question. Paul, again, writing from a Roman jail with the certain knowledge that he soon was going to be dead. He knew it. He knew he was going to be dead. He looked back at his journey with Christ. And then he looked forward to what would happen after he died. Then he wrote pretty much his own description of, uh, of what should be on his tombstone. It says in the second book of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 
For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. At the time has come for my departure. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, I love that part, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his after an exhaustive study of the men and the women of the Bible, there's this brother in Christ. His name is Howard Hendricks. He's of the Dallas Theological Seminary. He concluded that there are approximately, check this out, 100 biographies in the Bible. 100 biographies in the Bible. And he notes that approximately two-thirds, that's a good chunk, two-thirds of them, of those men and women, their biographies ended poorly. Two-thirds of the biographies of the hundred that 100 that are in the Bible, they ended poorly. Either they turned into, turn to immorality, or they drifted away from their faith, or they ended their life in a backslidden condition. But the Apostle Paul, he wasn't one of them. He didn't make the list of the 100 biographies that ended poorly, or the two-thirds that ended poorly. Because what we see here in, pa in the passage, the Apostle Paul, he finished his life well. In order to die well, you have to finish well. Finishing well doesn't happen by accident. If some of you guys are familiar with running, with uh, uh, just, just running as a sport, there's this, there's this runner called John. His nickname is the Penguin Bingham. Anybody heard of him? Oh, we got no runners here, not, not over here. He was both a runner and he was someone who knows how to motivate others to successfully run marathons. So what was his secret? In a quote, he said this. I, I, I found this quote. He says, as I stand, check this out, as I stand at the starting line, I know that somewhere out there, there is a finish line. As I stand at the starting line, I know that somewhere out there, there is a finish line. See, this is a good principle to keep in mind. Because out there somewhere is a finish line for all of us. Most of us probably think that the finish line is maybe a few years down the road. The finish line we're talking about is our life. Some of us are saying, hey, maybe I got 10 years, maybe I got 20, 30, 40, 50 years until I reach my finish line. So I've got plenty of time to stop and take some breaks. I've got plenty of time to, to kind of stop the race, get out of the race a little bit and kind of do my thing, do what I enjoy doing, satisfy my flesh, all that good stuff. And then I'll jump back into the race because I've got time. For me personally, I don't, I, I don't know what to expect. I can live 10, 20, 30, 40 more years, or I can die tomorrow. That's the reality. All I know is that the finish line of life is out there somewhere. And it may come sooner for me. It may come sooner for you than we expect. But rather sooner or later, it is bound to come. Because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, the King James Version puts it this way. It is appointed unto man once to die. So what is, what is the one thing guaranteed for all of us in this life, according to this passage? That we're going to die. We're going to die. We don't know how. We don't know when. We don't know where, where, where it's going to happen. We just know that we are going to die. We have an appointment with death. I don't know when or how, but it's in the book of God in heaven. He knows. He knows. And I'm telling you this. There's some appointments that sometimes we make that we say, I'm too lazy. I don't want to go to it. This is an appointment here that you can't run away from. This is an appointment here that you can't miss. You can't postpone. When your time is up, bing, your time is up. And so as the Apostle Paul approached his own death, he drew some conclusions about his own life and what would happen next. 
So based on his words, based on this passage that I just read, I would like us to think together about three questions that I find here. The first question that I want us to think through together is, what kind of departure will you have? Think, ask, ask yourself that question. What kind of departure will I have? When the Apostle Paul says that he is, I'm going to break this down for you, when he says that he's being poured out like a drink offering, he's referring to an Old Testament ritual that accompanied certain sacrifices. The law back then mandated that whenever a worshiper brought an offering, part of it was consumed upon the altar and part of it was given to the priest for his own use. Well, when the offering was consumed by fire, the worshiper would sometimes, they would pour, pour a drink offering of wine upon the burning sacrifice. I, I, I can't sense it. can't get it off my mind, but I guess that's why some people put in the movies, one for me and one for my homies. A drink offering of wine upon that burning sacrifice would go on ahead and, and, and it would be poured out. None was to be given to the priest, and as the wine would hit the burning coals, it evaporated, and a sweet smell rose from the altar. You see that? So I want you to keep in mind that in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, wine was a symbol of joy. The drink offering was a symbolic way of saying, the Apostle Paul saying, hey, Timothy, and whoever else is going to read this passage, I, get, I gladly give all that I am, all that I have to the Lord. I gladly give it to him. This sacrifice that I offer, I could imagine the Apostle Paul, what he's saying, is given as a symbol of my wholehearted commitment to God. Nothing is held back. All I have, I give it gladly to God. That is what the Apostle Paul was saying when he says, my life is, going, is being poured out like, like, a, like, an, like an offering. Paul knew that his death was at hand. Like I taught you guys from the beginning of this, of this series, he was on death row in Rome, and, and he knew that he was never going to be set free. And so by speaking of this death as, as a drink offering, he was saying to Timothy, Timothy, when you hear of my death, don't think that Nero, who was the leader who, was making, who had put that uh, punishment upon him, don't think that Nero has executed me against my will. I gladly, this is what he's saying, I gladly lay down my life for the Lord. Nero cannot take my life. I gladly offer it to Christ. What he's saying is, my blood will be like wine, Timothy, of the drink offering, gladly given to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It was Paul's way of saying, don't weep for me, Timothy. Know this, that when I die, I will die smiling. Paul had already given everything to Jesus. You see, this is someone who is confident in knowing the kind of race that he's ran. If we don't know the kind of race that we've been running, the reality is we're not talking like that. You know, sometimes when you ask your kids to tell you something and they're stuttering and they're looking all over the place and they're moving and they're fidgeting and we, we know something's up. They, they, they don't have that confidence to tell us the truth. And so they're kind of tiptoeing around it. Paul is confident. He said, I've done it all. I've given my life to Christ. How many of us here today can say that if we died right now, this second, we have given our lives completely to Jesus Christ? How many of us can say that? The answer is, I'm not sure. The answer is, I know that I haven't. And we need to really look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and you really need to look at, how are you finishing how are you finishing this race that you don't know when that finish line is going to pop up and you're going to cross it? How are you going to be remembered? You're going to be remembered as someone that, man, they love Jesus, they gave his life to Christ. Or are you going to be remembered as, man, I remember when my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, whoever it is, I remember when they were all out for Jesus. I remember that, but then for a moment there, I don't know what happened. 
The only thing left to give, the Apostle Paul was saying, is my life. And that he, he gladly gave to God. The word departure in verse 6 has three word pictures behind it. It refers to a ship hosting or hoisting the anchor, raising the sails, and leaving the harbor and setting sail for a distant port. It also refers to an army that has made camp near a battleground. You see, according to this context, to, to depart means to break camp, to leave the battlefield. So in other words, the Apostle Paul saying is that I'm getting ready to depart. I'm getting ready to break camp, Timothy. I'm getting ready to leave the battlefield. And Timothy, my brother, I am getting ready to head home. It also pictures a man who has been carrying a staggering burden. Now, however, the beautiful call to come home comes. See, for, ba- for Paul, death was like setting sail. For Paul, death was like breaking camp. It was like laying down his heavy burden and finally going home to be with the Lord. Was Paul afraid to die? I don't believe so. Not at all. Right? If you have your Bibles with you, I, I, I love to write on my Bible. Some of you guys may say, well, if you find my Bible, what? The pastor's Bible has graffiti all over the place. But, I, I, you know, if I'm reading something and I believe, like, God is telling me something there, I write it down so that whenever I pass through those pages, I could read that passage and, and write down what, what it is that I felt God was saying. But if you're one of those, I give you the permission. If you thought that the Bible was sacred, listen, the Word of God is sacred. But it's just pages that's in front of you. I remember when my Bible would fall on the floor, my mom would yell, pick it up and kiss it. But I would like you to go to that passage right there if you have your Bibles, or at least write down if you're taking notes over this passage here. Write down, no regrets. Because hearing the Apostle Paul as he's talking about his life and what's to come, I see a man that had no regrets in giving his wholehearted heart and efforts to Jesus Christ. He viewed his death as simply going home to be with the Lord. He could have said, I regret this. I, this, is what, this is what following Christ has gotten me in a Roman prison in which they're going to go on ahead and behead me. No. He's just saying, I'm packing camp. I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm going home. What kind of departure will you have, church? Brothers, sisters, what kind of departure? Do you have that same confidence? about your own death, because if you don't, the beautiful thing is you still have breath in your lungs. The beautiful thing at this moment, at least, at this second, at this minute, you're, you're, the race is not over for you. You can start to do things to make sure that you can start growing in that confidence. You can face death with that same faith that the Apostle Paul is showing us if you will do what Paul did, and that is simply offer your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord and holding nothing back. There's a lot of us here today that know and sense the calling that God has in your life, but there are things that are holding us back. The reality is that we have to offer our life as a sacrifice. And when we do that, we say, God, I'm offering my all to you. I'm offering my heart, my burdens, my hurt. All of these things, I'm offering them to you as a living sacrifice. And I trust and I believe and I know that God will begin to to, to help ordain the steps to relieve you from whatever it is that is holding you back. The second question that arises that I want to share with you guys or, or at least talk about with you guys for a little bit is what kind of legacy will you leave? When your race is up, When you cross that finish line, what kind of legacy will you leave? The second book of Timothy, chapter 7, this is in the King James Version. Paul says, which I just read to you a little bit earlier, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The most important part about that right there is the last part. I have kept the faith. Because anybody can fight a good fight. Anybody can finish a course, but can you do that and keep your faith? Can you do that and keep your integrity? Can you do that and keep on pace with the calling that God has for your life? This was the legacy that the Apostle Paul left behind. 
So let's go on ahead and, and, and dive into that legacy. Let's talk about that legacy for a little bit. The first thing that we see in his legacy that he left is that he lived a disciplined life, the Apostle Paul. He says, I have fought the good fight. Anybody that knows, especially for my boxing fans here, to fight a good fight, to, 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 to fight a fight that everybody that paid 50 60 $70, whatever pay-per-views are today, are going to say, wow, that was money worth spent. That means that those fighters must have been disciplined in their training, in their preparation, and it showed during that fight. I have fought the good fight. This speaks to the continual struggle that he faced. I want to hit that. People in the Bible didn't live glorified lives. People in the Bible didn't have everything run their way. Christ's followers didn't live a fairy tale because their, their father is a king. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And Brother Paul experienced a ton of trouble. Think of the words that Paul used to describe his own life throughout all of his writings. We see he, he, he uses the word trouble. The Apostle Paul uses the word distress. He uses the, the words tribulation. He uses the words trials. He uses the words hardships. Hey, that's not fun, is it? If I say, who wants to endure all these things, raise your hand. No one's going to raise their hand. But the Apostle Paul did. Many Christ followers do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He describes the normal Christian life as including these elements. Listen to the elements that, that Paul describes the normal Christian life. He says, but in all things, approving yourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. That's what he's pretty much describing, a, a normal life of a Christian. That's our life, guys. We've got a whole lot of that in it. In other passages, he spoke of spiritual oppression that he faced. Satan, the forces of darkness, the indwelling power of the flesh, and the spiritual darkness of paganism. These are words that the Apostle Paul is explaining. These are things that a Christian, someone who is a Christ follower, not someone that just tags on the name, but someone who is living that lifestyle, these are things that are a normal part of our lives. We're going to experience these things. If, like I said before, I've read it, 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 either you are coming from a storm, you are in a storm, or you are going into a storm. That's the life. Whatever else you can say about Paul, one thing's for sure is you can't say that his life was easy. He never stopped fighting for Jesus, though, until the day that he died. That's why we're talking about him as far as him leaving a legacy. Now, at last, the struggle is almost over for the Apostle Paul. Soon his commander-in-chief is going to grant him the honorable discharge from the battles of life. He will be promoted from the church militant to the church triumphant. By God's grace, he has fought well, and for him, the battle would soon be over. The second thing that we see on Paul's legacy is that he lived a directional life. It says, I have finished my course, is what he says. We must not read that and think that Paul means, hey, I did whatever it is that I wanted to do. This is not like that uh, one of my favorite Frank Sinatra songs, uh, I did it my way. Paul means that he followed the course. Listen to that. What Paul means is that he followed the course. God has placed the course before each and every single one of us. How are we doing in that course? Are we on track? Are we following it? Or like I said earlier, have we veered off? Or even worse, have we, have we started running backwards instead of forward? Paul means that he followed the course the Lord Jesus had set out for him. On that day, 
like I told you, that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And ever since that day, what happens is the Lord Jesus, his spirit, he, he shows up while, while, while Paul is on his way. His name was Saul at the time. He's on his way through the road of Damascus looking for some Christians to go on ahead and imprison. And all of a sudden, this big light comes. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Saul, other, a.k.a. Paul, is blinded. But all he can do is hear the voice of Jesus Christ, Paul or Saul. Why are you, why are you persecuting me? Ever since that day that Paul has that encounter with Jesus, he had been following the Lord and doing whatever the Lord had him to do. You know, while I was writing this, I was thinking to myself, man, maybe, maybe if we're having a problem of following this course, Maybe, maybe we haven't experienced Jesus. I'm not saying that he's going to show up and blind you, but maybe, maybe we haven't been around him enough to, to, to experience him. Because one thing is for sure, that God is everywhere. God, God hasn't left. For many of us, he's exactly where we left him when we decided to go backwards or veer off the course. Some of us need to say, Lord, I need to encounter you once again. Lord, I, I, I need to feel you once again. I need to, to be embraced by you once again. Listen, if you call on the name of the Lord, like the, the Bible says, he is as near to you as you want him to be. You just got to say, come on, I'm ready. Some of us, maybe that's what we need. We need a, we need a, we need a reminder. We need a, we need a wake-up call. And I'm hoping for many of you today, and those, whoever's watching or who's going to hear this whenever they listen to it, I, I hope that this is a reminder. I hope that this is a wake-up call. That the life that you are living right now, it isn't, it isn't permanent. The life that you're living right now could end at a drop of a second. What is your legacy? Most importantly, not just what are people going to think or say about you at your funeral. What is God going to say when you're standing face to face with him? That's, that's the one I'm scared about. That's the one that gives me fear, godly fear. When God looks at me and says, Lewis, I gifted you the gift of pastor and, and all of these other things. What is it? What is it that you did with the gift that I gave you? Did you take it for granted? Did you go on ahead and, and, and just go through the motions? Or did you go and do what I've called you to do? Church, get back on course if you've got off. If you haven't started, jump in. Because for some of us, our life, my, I've been running a course for 38 years. But we know many people that have, had, have ran that course a lot less. Rather in good times or in bad times, rather in happy circumstances or in the midst of pain and suffering, Paul had walked in the way of the Lord. Valuable lessons for us to learn. Because at least in this culture, at least in this American culture, sometimes when things ain't going good, is the first thing we think is to run away from God. Because God didn't work it out for what I thought was my good. When things get hard, we run away. We run to other things instead of running to God, where in some other cultures, people are running to God and running away from those other things. Now, for the Apostle Paul, that the journey was almost over, the Apostle Paul can look back and he can say to Timothy, he can say to us today, the Apostle Paul, Timothy was saying, the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, it wasn't easy. You're speaking about me. You're speaking to your church about my life. You're speaking to, my, to, to your church about the, about the church that I planted, about all of the people that I poured into. But listen, it wasn't easy. It was often hard. The Apostle Paul is probably, probably would even tell us, sometimes I wondered if I would even make it. But now I can see that Jesus led me all the way. See, the Apostle Paul had to meet the finish line, and finally he is sensing, he is tasting it, he can smell it, that he is about to reach that finish line. 
Now, there's a story that I ran into. It's a true story. There was a father, he was a professor, and a son who went on a 1,000-mile backpacking trip. I am exhausted just saying that. They were going from British Columbia to the southern part of California, and together, this father and son, they had hiked through the mountains of Washington, the mountains of Oregon, and the mountains of California. And for many days, they were alone on this trail, often camping above 10,000-foot levels. They faced every sort of discouragement I could imagine. There was a lack of food sometimes. There was a lack of water many times. There was danger from wild animals. There was dangers from robbers that might see them and might meet them to take whatever it is that they had. There was days of rain. There was days of mud. There was incredible physical exhaustion. The very real possibility of, of physical injury, not to speak of the loneliness that sometimes they must have been experiencing, even though they had each other, the, the blisters that I'm sure they were accumulating, the, the, the mosquitoes and the extreme heat and the extreme cold. Before leaving on the trip, though, the father went on ahead and he did some research. The father discovered in his research, you could tell he did the research, he was a professor, that over 90% of those who set out to, to hike more than 500 miles, they never make it. 90%. 50% never get started. And 40% quit shortly after they start. Only 10% of the people ever finish a long-distance hike. And after studying the 10% who succeeded, this is what he came up with. He, he realized, what was it that those 10%, what, what, what did they do? He came to the conclusion that some of it involved strenuous training and meticulous logistical preparation. But there was something else that was involved in when I was reading this, I, 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 I sensed it before I even got to it. He discovered that those who succeeded versus those who failed understood that the biggest block was mental. They knew that their real enemy laid within them, not necessarily without, not necessarily in front of them or outside of any of those other obstacles. Those who succeeded make two important decisions. First and foremost, before they even begin, they decide that they are going to finish the trip no matter what is going to happen. You see, something, this, our brain is powerful. Something happens when we predetermine in our minds and in our hearts, I'm going to go through with this, that I'm going to finish this. That even if it gets hard, even if it gets difficult, when I sit down and when I mentor people that are about to get married, I take them through a seven-week course, and one of the things that I always tell them is, listen, marriage at times is going to get hard. Marriage at times is going to be difficult. Sometimes you're not going to be able to stand each other. Sometimes you're not going to want to be in each other's presence. But the reality is, if you make the commitment now that no matter what we go through, we are still going to remain together, then chances are, and Christ being in the center of that, you're going to be okay. You're going to finish well your life with that person beside you. They decided that they would finish the trip no matter what. And second, they expected bad things to happen. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer when I talk to people sometimes, but when I talk about our Christian faith, I always say that there are seasons. There are good seasons. There are difficult seasons. That sometimes we're enjoying these seasons because I've lived them. A few years ago, my, my family and I, we were enjoying a great season, a beautiful season. The favor of God was evident. We were, in, we were, we were just in a good place. But the, the, the Christ-centered mindset in myself knew that just like the weather forecast, some days there's sunny days, but some days there's storms, it's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Someone's going to get sick. Someone's going to pass away. Someone's going to be unfaithful. Things are going to happen. The car is going to break down. They expected bad things to happen. And so with this study, with this 
the, the, this research that this father did, they decided that they would not be surprised or dismayed. That they were just going to do it. That's what the 10% that finished these long hikes, they have it in their mind. That no matter what happens, we're going we're gonna to finish, and we, but we know that bad things are going to happen. So when the rains turned the trails into mud that was almost unbearable to cross, they didn't quit. Why? Because they weren't surprised. When the black clouds of mosquitoes descended, like some of the Old Testament plagues, they didn't quit because, why? They weren't surprised. When they faced days of loneliness and nights of hunger, they didn't quit because they knew that it would be like this at times. In essence, the successful backpackers adopted a certain mindset. They knew that the key was simply putting one foot in front of the other, just like that uh, Santa Claus uh, old school, put one foot in front of the other. I have to share what's on my mind when I'm reading it or I'm writing this with you guys. You take a step and you hit the mud. You take another step and you see a bear. You take another step and your legs begin to cramp. You take another step and the crazy people come out of the woods. That doesn't matter, though. You weren't surprised. Because before you began the journey, you knew that crazy people were going to show up sooner or later. So you don't stop. You don't get discouraged. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. And eventually, eventually, church, your journey's finished. Your journey comes to an end. But you finish, and you finish in faith. This was Paul's approach to the Christian life. No matter what happened to him, he just kept moving forward by the grace of God. One foot in front of the other. One step at a time. One day at a time. He wasn't deterred by opposition because he knew it was coming eventually. Jesus warns us, in this world, you will have trouble. Our problem, our problem, church, is that we're surprised by trouble. When it hits us, we're like, where did this come from? When trouble arises, we're like, wait a minute, this is not supposed to happen to me. We think that the Christian life ought to be easy. The reality is, it is not. I can take you from the beginning to the Bible, the first page, to the last page of the Bible, and prove it to you. It's not supposed to be easy. Today is the day of struggle. Yeah. As a Christ follower, today is a day of combat. Today is a day of warfare. Today we march to battle in the name of the Lord. Because guess what? That day of rest that we want, it's coming. But as long as you've got breath in your lungs, it's not here yet. The third thing that we see in, in the legacy of the Apostle Paul is that he lived a doctrinal life. He says, I have kept the faith. Situations in life are going to arise in which your faith is going to be tested. The enemy, the Bible says, Satan, he, he, he prowls around you like a lion, seeing how it is that he can devour you. Describes the enemy, the, the Satan, as someone that, that seeks to kill, to steal and to destroy. Listen, you have an adversary. You, you have someone that wants to see you fail. Yeah, you're right. But it's not necessarily the person next to you. It's the person that you can't see. It's the being that you can't see. He wants to see you fail. He wants to see you not succeed. He wants to see you fall short of the calling in which God has given to you. That's his goal and his only goal. And so he's going to test your faith. This simply means, when the Apostle Paul says, I have kept the faith, it means that he refused to compromise the truth. The truth is the truth. When other people fell away, he tells us, I, I read this through you, in the book of Timothy, several times, second book of Timothy, several times, Paul talks about Christians who were there for him, but Christians who fleeted him. People that abandoned him. People that abandoned the faith. 
There's no difference to what, was, what, what, what Paul was experiencing to what we are experiencing today. We see it. Look around. Some people here, some people that used to sit next to us, they're not, they're not here anymore. People that, that you've done life with, maybe, maybe they've gone somewhere else and they're encouraging, praise God. But, but maybe some of them have, have not just fallen from, from attending, maybe some of them have fallen from the faith. This is not just a Mount Clare issue, this is a, a, a worldwide issue. But when other people fell away, when other people turned their back, Paul preached the word. When people didn't like what he was saying, he preached the word. And Jesus had so many followers following him because they were amazed at the miracles and they wanted the healing and all that stuff. But when Jesus started also preaching the truth, the hard truth, the way to get into heaven, the Bible says people didn't like him. So many left the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. What makes you surprised that when you say something, when you stand for Christ, people aren't going to leave you. That's a part of it. That's a part of it. But Paul continued to preach the word, and he encourages you to continue to preach the word. When the world was against him, Paul paid no attention. When it would have been easy for him to, to trim his message. Think about it. Think about it. He's, why is he in prison? Because he's been sharing the gospel. When he could have, for some of us, if we have opposition, we might, we might trim the gospel to a way that at least doesn't offend people so that we don't get in trouble. That's not what Paul did. He kept the faith. And that got him to where he was. Because he was okay. Because he knew he was going home. He could have trimmed the truth. He could have maybe not used Jesus' name. He could have maybe gone on ahead and just said other things. Oh, yeah, maybe I was confused. Maybe, maybe that didn't happen. Just to save his own life, he's about to be beheaded. But Paul proclaimed the whole counsel of God. Paul did not back down. He did not compromise, and he would not preach what people wanted to hear just to make them feel good. He kept the faith. That's what he's saying. I kept the faith because Paul knew that nothing could touch him that did not come from the hand of God. He never gave in to the Spirit. Think about that. Because nothing can touch you that does not come from the hand of God. Don't be discouraged. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you are experiencing, you believe and you know, okay, I believe because I'm a Christ follower that God has allowed this for some reason, for some reason that maybe I cannot wrap my mind about around, but I know that he's allowed it, so I know he's with me. He truly believed that everything that happened to him was for his good and for God's glory. We have a hard time with that. How could you say that what's happening to me is for my good? The Bible says, lean not in your own understanding. We need to trust God who knows why he does what he does. We don't. Therefore, he kept on going for God to the very end. Even in the chains of a Roman jail, that could not destroy his faith. For some of us, it would break us. It will break us if we got on Facebook jail because we shared Jesus. His confidence in God was not shattered. He never stopped fighting. He never stopped running. He never stopped believing. And now for our third question that I want us to think as we get ready to wrap up is, what kind of reward will you receive for finishing this race, for keeping the faith, for fighting the good fight? For offering your life as a sacrifice to God. What kind of reward will you receive? Second book of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 8, Paul tells us. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but here we go again, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is some comforting words. Here we see Paul's face shining so brightly that the darkness of the Roman prison cell seems to disappear. By faith, 
Paul is not looking at his chains. By faith, Paul is not looking at the cell. By faith, Paul is not thinking about, about his death, per se, of how it's going to feel. By faith, he sees beyond his own beheading in which he would experience. The pain of that moment is now in the past, and the suffering of this life is now left far behind. By faith, he sees a day. It's that day that he sees. That day of Jesus Christ. That day when Christ is before him saying, good job, my good, well, faithful servant. He is seeing that day, not the day that is physically in front of him in this flesh. He sees that day when he will receive his reward from the Lord. What will that reward look like? One thing we know for sure that it will be a guaranteed reward. You put it in the bank. That reward is going to be there. It is laid up. It's stored in heaven for the Apostle Paul. He can see it. It will be a glorious reward. It will be a crown of righteousness is what Paul says. It will be a personal reward. Paul will receive his reward from the Lord himself. Now, there's something that, that if you read really quickly, you might just pass it. And it it's okay because it still gives you the same message, but I want to take you maybe into a little bit depth of what Paul, why, he, why is he saying what he's saying when he's calling God the righteous judge? Paul will receive his reward from the Lord, but I want you to know how specific he is about it. What he's saying is that it is the Lord, the righteous judge, who will reward him. He says that. Why? Because in a few days, Nero, the unrighteous earthly ruler, will have him beheaded. He's saying, this guy who's going to have me beheaded, he's unrighteous, but the righteous judge is in heaven. He's the one that's going to have my reward, not this guy. But in that day, the Lord himself will reverse Nero's earthly judgment. The chief justice of the Supreme Court of the entire universe will weigh in on Paul's case, and his judgment will be final. And it will be personal. Paul won't be awarded his crown by mail. Paul's not going to go on ahead and be rewarded his crown by a committee. He will receive it directly from Jesus Christ. Man, if that's not encouraging to know that this reward is also there for whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever finishes their race, which can and should be each and every person here today, Jesus Christ. You don't have to imagine how he looks any longer. You don't have to say, oh, that he had blue eyes, was he black, was he white, whatever the case is. You don't have to imagine that. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is going to be right before you, and he's going to have something for you. Something for you that no one, no one on this side of eternity can give you that will fulfill you. It will be a future reward. Paul will receive his reward on that day, the day that Jesus Christ returns from heaven. And so, church, as I just said, that's great news. The great news is that that reward, Paul says, is going to be shared. We all get to partake in that. It's not just for Paul, but also for everyone who loves the Lord and who longs for his appearing. This is what is ahead for you and for me, church. If we will faithfully serve Jesus Christ in this life, and I have to really reiterate that. Paul doesn't say, and a crown of righteousness will be available for every human being in the world. Paul says that this reward is going to be for those who faithfully serve Jesus Christ in their life. We've got to finish the race. The race is not done. I, I, I don't know where it is that you are in your race. I don't know. I wish I, I could tell you. Maybe that would change your life upside down right away. I don't know. I don't know if you've got a day, two days, a week, month, years. I don't know when your race is up. But God does. So offer your life to the one who knows your tomorrow as a living sacrifice to him. Be encouraged today, child of God. The Lord is not so unjust as to forget your sufferings for him. He sees all that you go through. He sees all of your struggles, every single one of them, the ones that those close to you know, the ones that, 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 that those close to you don't see. He knows those struggles. He sees how hard the fight is. 
how you are sometimes tempted to quit and how you, you keep going, though. When others around you throw in the towel, and you know you have seen many do that, they say, I'm done with this type of race. He sees and he knows that you're still running. But it's hard. He knows. He says, I I love you so much that I gave you a warning. I told you that this is the way it was going to be. But it's just temporary. One day you will be with me in all eternity where there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more disease, no more disappointment, no more discouragement. And in that day, the Lord himself will reward us if we are faithful to him now. So the word of the Lord is is this to each and every one of us today. My encouragement to you as, as your pastor today is to keep on fighting. It's hard. It's a hard fight. But the one who stands beside you is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, man. Keep on fighting. Keep on running. Keep on believing. Believe that the best is still yet to come. That it won't be long now. That just a little while more and the Lord himself will return and all of our struggles will be over. This hot battle that we find ourselves in called life is not going to last forever. This long road will soon come to an end. This old world that's full of danger craziness. It won't last much longer. But hold on to your faith, my brother. Hold on to your faith, my sister. Keep believing. Stay strong. As the Apostle Paul said, put on the full armor of God, because he knew we were in a battle. Hold on to your faith and never give up, because there's a finish line out there. Remember? There's a finish line out there. Somewhere. The reality is that it's closer than any of us can realize. So I like to say things in threes. A couple people have mentioned to me, Pastor, you know that when you finish a prayer, you always say amen, amen, and amen. I don't know why, if that's because it's a form of completion, or maybe because I need to hear things several times to know that I said it. So just in case, I want to tell you, finish strong. Finish strong strong, finish strong. By the grace of God, let us finish strong together in Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to ask that we all rise to our feet. Just close your eyes right where you are at today. Just begin to thank God. Thank God for today's reminder. Thank God for for today's, what might be for many of us, a wake-up call. I think sometimes we don't talk about it enough, the church today, of the reality. Sometimes it's just in funerals we talk about death and how short of a time we have. Thank God. Still breath in my lungs. Thank him. Thank him right now. There's still breath in my lungs. Thank you. If you veered off, thank you, God, for this reminder because it's time for me to get back. If you've been going backwards, don't think, oh, now I, I've gone backwards so much. It's going to take me so much more longer to get to where I was. Don't think about those lies from the enemy. Start moving forward and let God carry you. Thank God that you still have an opportunity to work on the legacy in which you are going to leave. The legacy in which your children are going to think about it and speak to their children and their children and and so on. That my mom, that my dad, your grandmother, your grandfather was a woman, was a man who loved God, who served God, who was a person of integrity, who finished the race, who didn't give up, who didn't give up on their faith. Even though life was hard, they remained Faithful to God, trusting in Him. There's still time. But I don't know when that time's going to end. I don't know when the clock stops. 
No one does, only him. So at this moment, I just want you to begin to speak to the Lord. I want to give you the opportunity right there where you are at. I'll have Jason probably play the chorus a couple times here, but I, I really don't want to dismiss you today without you having a heart check, a gut check conversation with God right now. Wherever it is that you are at in this course, in this race, if you're in, you're out, backwards, whatever the case is, speak to God. Come to God if you need to with the heart of repentance and, and say, God, I am sorry, but I won't back in. I won't back in. If you haven't started this race, you say, I, I, haven't, I haven't started and I want, I, at that point, I, I want to help you begin. I want to be the one that says, ready, set, go. And I want this church to be a church that's going to cheer you along the way. Speak to God. Have a conversation with him right now. Tell him, I want him in this race. And if that's you, don't let fear strike you. But see me after the service. I'd like to talk to you, and I'd like to get you connected. Jason, go on ahead and... Begin to have a conversation with God. Come on, you're going to get as much out of this short few minutes as you put into it. Begin to speak to God. And Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. And everything I need is in you. And everything I need. Christ, my all in all, the joy of my salvation. Cause heaven is my home Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Cause Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me, and everything I need is in you, and everything I need. Father God, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you that you are a God who loves us so much, Lord, that you love to get our attention when our attention seems to get distracted. I thank you that you are a God that encourages us in the moments in which we need encouragement. I thank you for the words of affirmation that we receive from you and your word when we need those words of affirmation. Thank you for being a loving God gracious God, a merciful God. I thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with each brother and sister here today as we are, we are all in the same race. We are all in the same course. Different legs of it, of course. Some of us are, are, are there on our own. Some of us are, are, are leading our families. Some of us are running the race and and others that are outside of it are looking to see how we do, Lord. And, and I just pray, God, that, that you would just use each and every single one of us, God. Lord, that we would work, that we would take this word today, Lord, and apply it in our lives, Father God. So, Father God, to, to, to think, think about these questions. 
who questions, Father God, Lord, that what is the legacy, Lord, that, that we are leaving, Father God? How are we running this race, Lord Jesus? Father God, and we pray and we thank you, Lord, because many of us, Lord, if not all, are going through difficult times or seasons, Lord. We, we have struggles. We have heartache, God, Lord. But, Lord, just as that, that father and son had that predetermination that, Lord, no matter how hard it gets, we're going to finish this race. That no matter what, we know that things are going to arise that are not going to be good. But, Lord, we're going to continue to, to get through it and go through it because one day, on that day, Lord, when you come and you return once again for us, oh, you would give us like crowns race will be over, and now we get to celebrate with you in the after party that never ends. Jesus, we thank you, and we love you. Lord, remind us that no matter where we go, Lord, that you've called us to be the light of this world. You have called us to be the salt of this earth. And you didn't call us to blend in, Father. You called us to stand out. Let us, Father God, reflect you to the lost world in a beautiful way. And church, I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of God says, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.